Hey guys, this is Brian Manuel, the producer of Telling Lives. And before we get started with episode six, I just wanted to give you a brief update on the status of all that information that we received last week. Because episode six was completed prior to these new disclosures, we as a team have decided to go ahead and air it as planned. But as promised, we've turned over all that information to the proper authorities, and we're very hopeful that this new lead, after being thoroughly investigated, will bring some closure or answers to this 25-year-old mystery. We will be including as much of this new information as we can in our last two episodes, so hang tight. We think you're going to find it just as interesting as we do. And now, on with episode six. Maybe I'll see you again. Seventeen-year-old Angela Freeman was last seen on September 10, 1993, here at the old Pizza Hut in Petal. This was the last place that we ever, that anybody ever saw her alive. Seventeen years old, five months pregnant. Her bloodstained car was just north of Perry County's Monette Bridge. There's a possibility she might be in the river, so we're checking the river right now with the dogs. Rescue workers are searching the river with dogs, and they are also searching the wooded area here. She was um, had come in from work, and she gave me $80 to pay on her car that we found abandoned out here in Perry County. At this point, we really don't know any more than we did before until we can find her. We're still hoping that it's just not real, you know, that, that she's going to call and say she was, maybe she was abducted and will get away or something, but uh, it just really doesn't look good at all. And we're working hard every day. We want this case solved. After exhausting all leads and telling her story to reporters dozens of times, there wasn't anything Deborah wouldn't do to find her teenage daughter, Angela. And while she had never really believed in or consulted a psychic before, when one called to tell her where Angela could be found, she wanted desperately to believe her answers were coming. But the Hattiesburg American took the story as another opportunity to take a dig at a desperate mother. Quote, the district attorney is relying on modern technology to help him crack the year-old case of a missing pedal girl. The missing girl's mom is relying on the unexplainable ability of a psychic. End quote, wrote Janet Braswell, the lead crime reporter. Twice, readers wrote letters to the editor pointing out the condescension in the coverage of Angela, criticizing the victim-blaming voice in the stories. But it continued... The quote above is from the one-year anniversary story of the missing teen. The first letter, from a teenage reader, stated that she understood why an alleged perpetrator might be referred to in terms that were oversimplified or stereotypical, but not a missing teenage girl. She called on Braswell to apologize to the Freeman family for her negative characterization. Ten days later, another reader wrote in agreeing, writing, Quote, amen, end quote, and questioning the nasty tone of the portrayal of Angela, who was no longer around to defend herself. In that same week, interestingly, another reader wrote in criticizing the sympathetic tone the same reporter took in covering one of the Moody clan, 
who had at the time recently been charged in connection with the double murder of Robbie Bond and William Hatcher that we discussed in episode five. The letter reads, quote, I am completely appalled by Janet Braswell's entire front page headline article concerning the terrible misfortune and victimizing of little David Moody, end quote. This writer encouraged the newspaper to better devote its energies to the lives of the murder victims rather than alleged double murderers. Still, Deborah would continue to take her chances in allowing herself to be interviewed again and again about her search. She trusted in the news media to help. She was focused only on finding Angela. That remains, even now 25 years later, her life's purpose. You're listening to the sixth episode of Telling Lives, a reported podcast series covering old stories in a true way. I'm your host, Elizabeth Christian. This episode of Telling Lives is going to be a little different. We're going to examine the use of psychics over the years, even within the last year of this 25-year mystery of Angela Freeman's disappearance. But we were also going to look at the use of and acceptance of psychic ability in helping law enforcement historically and today. Just a note, we are not going to get into a spiritual debate about psychic phenomena here. For every person who can quote scripture against the practice, there is someone reading another scripture that can explain that God gives the gift of visions. Suffice to say, that's not the purpose of this podcast. As journalists telling the story of Angela Freeman, we won't be making any judgment calls in favor of or against psychics here. In the early 1980s, my family and I switched churches from a traditional Methodist church to a Southern Baptist church that was commonly referred to as Bapticostal, largely because of the charisma of the gregarious young pastor. I was in sixth grade the year I accepted Christ as my savior. And in the months that followed, I had a strange dream or vision, if you will. And then again and again, Night after night, the same vision. Five nights passed with the same recurring dream of my pastor who had just led me to salvation, being seriously injured in an automobile accident with an 18-wheeler. In my confused and scared child's mind, all I knew to do was pray. I had never before experienced such a vivid, realistic dream, and at 11 years old, it disturbed me immensely. I shared it with my classmate, Susan, with whom I went to church. She too thought it odd. And then on the sixth night, the vision was gone. I was relieved, but only briefly, because the very next day, my pastor was seriously injured in a collision with a beer truck on Highway 90 on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. I had no words of explanation then as a child, and I have none now. In the decades since, I've never had a similar experience, but I have never forgotten it. Over the years, of course, I've heard and read about psychic visions and heard Christians use scripture references to say that they are not from God, 
and I've also read about God-given visions in the Old Testament. I've always questioned, and I question still, is it possible for some people claiming psychic power to be given those visions from God and not simply charlatans looking to prey on vulnerable souls looking to make a buck? Losing a child changes a person in ways unimaginable to their previous state of normalcy, and people react differently. Some people of faith cling to God stronger than ever before for fear if they lose that, they will lose the will to live themselves, and others, desperate for answers, may magically think some kind of deal with the devil will reverse the rotation of the earth and bring their child back. They would go down any rabbit hole for even the smallest dangling carrot. Some of the people who reach out in earnest to the desperate and vulnerable families are what the media and many of us think of as psychics. Rarely do those seeking answers to a missing or murdered loved one have to go searching for a psychic themselves. One year to the day after Angela Freeman's disappearance, in a September 11, 1994, Hattiesburg American story, Forest County District Attorney Glenn White said he was pursuing satellite imagery that may have photographed the area around the Monad Bridge that would show Angela and whoever was with her and might shed light on what happened that night. About the same time, Deborah talked to Natchez psychic Jeannie Bernard. Bernard told the paper that she started seeing pictures in her mind in November of 93, two months after the disappearance of who she later realized was Angela upon seeing a missing poster hanging in a convenience store. The mental pictures were of a blonde-haired man stabbing Angela. Bernard claimed to know exactly where Angela was buried and sent Deborah a detailed map of a place near the edge of the woods off River Road a few miles from the Monted Bridge. The area was searched and then searched again, but nothing related to Angela was ever found. Nothing ever came of the satellite imagery either. Bernard is quoted in the newspaper article saying that the location where she was seeing Angela's body was the location where she was actually killed. Deborah told the newspaper back then that, quote, a lot of things she said don't make sense. She's saying my daughter is dead. She said maybe the reason she contacted her was to tell me she is okay in heaven, end quote. In a conversation, Deborah remembered another psychic from Alabama telling her Angela's body was in a water tower at Camp Shelby. I had a psychic tell me that she was in one of these um, on the on the city back on the, on the 49 the, the Camp Shelby. Camp Shelby. They had three of them, and they were full of water. And we had um, we had a psychic who said that she was in this particular one, okay? We didn't know how we were supposed to get the water out. Didn't know anything. Anyway, my brother got on the phone and called these people that come clean up oil spills. The next morning, they had a crew down there. I mean, people to work. And they fixed, and they took them all week and didn't charge us anything. And when they got to the bottom of it, they found a handful of bones, okay? And they thought we'd probably be animal bones, but they didn't know. Then we found out Camp Shelby had put stuff in there to eat up stuff like that. 
So they were telling me there was probably nothing left of her. Okay, that wasn't what I want to hear right. at the time in my life. So that was also working on me. But one point, we really thought we was going to find her because at one point they had her on the phone and these men were walking around in this, this stuff, you know. And she said on the phone, she said, tell the guy that's got the yellow shirt on. And there was a guy with the yellow shirt. He is right on top of her. That was weird. But anyway, they, like I say, they drag it and they had a handful of bones. The bone fragments found were tested. It wasn't Angela. What uh, Camp Shelby had said was they put stuff in there to eat stuff like mm-hmm. that up. And if Angela had been in there that long, there probably would be nothing left of her. That's what I had my nervous breakdown. I was curious about the acceptance of psychics by law enforcement in America. And over time, has this changed? And when did that happen? A study was actually done back in 1993, the year Angela Freeman went missing, of police departments in the 50 largest U.S. cities and their use of psychics. According to the article in the journal Skeptical Inquire, none of the departments at that time reported getting information from psychics that was any more useful than any other sources. In fact, 65% of the responding cities said they never consulted psychics, and a few felt that psychic suggestions may actually hinder police investigations by sending detectives off on wild goose chases with no basis in fact or reason. Yet, Americans have the misconception, largely from pop culture and media portrayals, that psychics are often working right alongside trained detectives to bring killers to justice. Articles like Clairvoyant Crime Busters and Can Psychics See What Detectives Can't in popular magazines at checkout stands and regular appearances on television talk shows just add to the mystique and believability. But I wondered, have psychics ever actually solved crime? I mean, real crime, not the quirky comedy drama TV shows that sort of engage the phenomena while also poking fun, but always end with a psychic saving the day or the city from some inept detective? Is what we call psychic really just a sugar-coated charlatan preying on people's misfortune, or is it really much more complicated? Is it possible that some of these people have been given a gift from God to help hurting people? I decided to try to find any real examples in America where a psychic was actually helpful in solving a case. I actually found more than I expected. Here are a few. Conchetta Penny Sarah. Sarah was 21 when she was stabbed to death in a parking garage in downtown New Haven, Connecticut in 1973, and the case couldn't be solved. Four key suspects were identified and two arrested and charged, but no one was convicted. The lead detective got information from a Bridgeport psychic, Mary Pascarella, in 1974, according to the Hartford Current newspaper, who told him they would not find the man responsible for some time, but that he would be a mechanic with the first initial E. She told them they would solve the crime with blood evidence. Remember, this is 1973, before DNA 
evidence was available. 26 years later, in 1999, Edward Grant, who had been a mechanic, was arrested and connected to the crime through DNA evidence, again, not available in 1973 at the time of the crime. The headline of the paper that day, Slaying Suspect Fits Psychic Profile, a remarkable acknowledgement. Grant was sentenced to 20 to life in 2002. Patricia List. Patricia List's high school drama teacher called police after the 16-year-old didn't show up for play rehearsal for several days in the fall of 1971. Patty had recently gotten into trouble for walking the streets and smoking after her curfew, and her father was having none of it. And she had told her drama coach that her father had threatened to kill her. Police found her, along with her mother, grandmother, and siblings dead in their home, along with a note written by her father, John List, confessing to the crime. A detective took another look at the cold case in 1985 and reached out to a psychic in New Jersey named Elizabeth Lerner to help locate John List, who helped lead investigators to Virginia, where he was arrested. In 1990, List was convicted and received five life sentences. He died in prison in 2008. Melanie Uribe. This young nurse went missing in Southern California in 1980, and a clairvoyant had visions so accurate that she would end up becoming a suspect in the case after police ignored her information about where Melanie could be found. She and her children went out to the place she saw in her vision and found Melanie's body. According to the LA Times, she was arrested and tried for her murder. Fortunately, she was acquitted and actually was able to lead detectives to Melanie's body in an area near where the victim lived. The psychic in this case, Etta Louise Smith, actually sued the police department in 1987 over her ordeal and won more than $26,000. Dozens more stories just like these are out there and in much greater detail and double and triple fact-checked online, as I did for these three. To be fair, for every case that has been solved with information from a psychic detective, there are many others where a psychic offered information that went nowhere. Psychic Sylvia Brown, who gained notoriety in the 1990s from her appearances on the Montel Williams show, told Cleveland kidnapping victim Amanda Berry's mom a year and a half after she went missing that her daughter was dead, that she saw Amanda's jacket in the garbage with DNA on it. Numerous psychics offered tips following the 2002 disappearance of Elizabeth Smart. Hundreds of hours were wasted by police investigating these tips to no avail. Yet, even the United States CIA released in the year 2000 a four-page press release titled The Use of Psychics in Law Enforcement basically outlining acceptable and appropriate use of psychics in crime investigation. The release offers the following. CIA contacted 11 officers at 11 police agencies who told the press that they had used psychics to some success. Eight of the officers told the CIA, quote, the psychic provided them with otherwise unknown information which was helpful to the case, end quote. It goes on, quote, it does appear that some psychics 
have provided valuable assistance to law enforcement on specific cases. This is the only conclusion that should be drawn from such a limited survey, end quote. The CIA press release goes on to offer advice on what to consider when considering calling in a psychic. If you're skeptical, and I get it, we're talking about the CIA here, but you can see for yourself by going to the CIA website and searching its newsroom. There's lots to learn there. So the CIA suggests, based on the information collected, calling in a psychic early on when a case is difficult or unusual because the psychic may seek clues the investigator does not. They add that finding the right psychic is important as not to hinder a case. Suggestions include contacting authorities who have used psychics successfully or universities and research foundations who do work in that area of study. The psychics that the officers used successfully did not charge a consultant fee, rather for travel and food expenses. And if one asks for money up front, be wary. The CIA even offers suggested statements a psychic may make to law enforcement. I have to tell you, I have never seen a psychic personally and am skeptical at best. But after reading this from our government's central intelligence agency, I'm intrigued and surprised. This is perhaps the most interesting statement in the entire article. Quote, it must be re-emphasized that a psychic does not replace the sound investigative techniques, but functions as an investigative tool. Courts do not recognize psychic testimony. Cases solved with the assistance of a psychic must be reconstructed using established police procedures before presentation in court, end quote. I asked Rusty Keys about psychic involvement in legal investigations and his own personal feelings on the use of psychics in solving cases. You can research that, and some detectives have in the, in, around the world. Um, if somebody's got information to tell me, I'll listen to it, I'll check into it. If it leads me somewhere, I'll go there. I, I personally, I don't believe in that. I mean, uh, I just don't think, you know, that a spirit's out there telling somebody, you know, in New York City to go tell somebody in South Mississippi where their, where their body is. I, I mean, from a personal standpoint, I'm just not a... I'm not a believer in, in that, and that's from a Christian faith. Well, I was going to ask so, you from a Christian perspective. I mean, it's just... Because I've been reading about and some of them it sounds hocus-pocus, but some of them sound very sincerely to believe that it's a gift that God gave but them. But you got to understand now, and I'm not pointing any one particular person out, a lot of these people are experts in human and human reaction, okay? Uh, they can read things. You say things you don't know you've said. They read your body language. They've done enough history on you to know a little bit. So you've just got to be skeptical of them, okay? Well, you say, well, some just wants to do it, okay? Just wants to tell me. Well, maybe so, but if that case is clear and they think they're done it, they're going to take the and they think they've done that, they're going to take the credit for it and raise their popularity, okay? It's another thing that I put in that reality TV part of it. I, 
I've just never had anything through an investigation through a psychic that led me to clear a case. But if somebody's got information they want to tell me, I'll look into it. Okay? I don't care where it comes from, I'll look into it. But from a personal and detective standpoint, I'm not going to say a, a psych that I'm going to just hinge my whole case on what a person that claims to be a psychic tells. You know, it's just, and I look at it as just they've got what they believe is information that I'll check out. Over the years, Deborah has heard from people claiming to have psychic abilities with answers to Angela's disappearance from as far away as New York, and she isn't the only one in the family to have been contacted. Her sister, Donna Sanford, said even she had had a person claiming psychic visions of Angela's whereabouts reach out to her but the person had ulterior motives. I know one time I had someone that, uh, it, well, it was a family member, somebody that I knew that was in jail, okay? And they called me from the jail, and they said, hey, there's somebody in here with me, and, and he says he knows something about Angela. Oh, my goodness. And he, will, he wants you to come so you can talk to him. And I'm going, okay. So anyway, I got off the phone with him. And, you know, and I'm telling him, I said, it's not going to do him any good to tell me anything. He needs to tell the authorities. If he knows something, that's what he needs to do. So at the time, I called the, um, he was an investigator, state investigator. I can't remember what his title was, but he was in Hattiesburg. I called him, and I told him, I said, well, I just got a phone call from somebody at the jail. And I said, he says that there's somebody there that knows something about Antoine. And I said, you know, he wants me to come up there so he can talk to me. And I said, he needs to talk to y'all. He said, okay. He said, well, he said, I'll tell you what, you come to my office. And we'll bring him over here. Okay, so that's mm-hmm. what we did. But he really didn't have anything. He said, well, he he put it back to, and I know you've heard about the Moody Boys, the bridge, and all that, those, that situation. He put it with them that, that a letter was passed at Parchman through some of them people. But they said it never proved out anything that, What do you think his motivation was? I don't know. Well, you know, there was the reward money. But, you know, you had to have, you really, I'm thinking, even if people thought, well, I'll tell them this, and you're not going to get reward money unless you have, unless we know that that's true. Right. I don't know what his motive was. You know, unless he thought, you know, well, I'll tell them this, and Harry County Sheriff Mitch Nobles said that while he has never worked closely with psychics in his law enforcement career, he is open to it, but he urges caution in people searching for answers. A psychic reached out to him recently on the whereabouts of Glen Street, another missing person case in Perry County from 2017. 
cases. Do you ever have psychics reach out to you? We've had one reach out to us on that case. Have they given y'all anything? Do y'all follow up on those things? We did. I mean, I, I'm open to whatever. You know, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I believe in the psychic ability, ability all the way, but, I mean, we still try to be open-minded to everything. But we listen to her, but all of a sudden she came too busy to come down, so... It was on her, yeah. but we did reach out to her, and uh, some of the stuff she was saying kind of fell in line, but could have easily been read off the newspaper or news articles, mm -hmm. you know, so it wasn't really genuine information yeah. she had. Now, if she went to tell us specifics that we didn't release to the media, then we would have been a lot of red flags thrown up, but, right. but everything she pretty much gave us, you could have read it off the news. In researching for this podcast series, I did come across an online psychic, Brian Ladd, who refers to himself as the world's top schizophrenic psychic dreamer and claims to have a success rate of 45% on the hundreds of missing persons cases he has dreamed about. He also has Angela Freeman's picture and information about her disappearance on his page, along with a link to PayPal with several different membership levels from $9.95 a month to a lifetime membership for $199.95. I'm not sure if you're paying for information or for the hopes he will dream up an answer for payment. Most recently, a psychic from Ocean Springs reached out to Deborah. I met Deborah and her boyfriend Mike over coffee outside a bookstore, so forgive the highway noise in the background. Back in January, not this January. Last year. Yeah. He asked me what I wanted for my birthday. And I told him I wanted to talk to this lady named who is on Facebook, which you know, her name is a Angel Leggett, L E I G H. Anyway, so I, uh, you go through, I paid her, told her I wanted a session, and the day that she gave you an appointment, you send her a picture that day that your appointment is, and then she comes to where you're at. But uh, the day she was supposed to be coming, it was on a Sunday, and it was she was supposed to be there at 1? 11. Okay. Um, but anyway, right before I, I sent, her, sent the picture of Angela, and then about 15 minutes later, I get a message from her. She said, um, said, I was connecting this morning for our session. I felt a danger, and I, while connecting this, there's something not right, she said. Uh, I did not know this was a disappearance of a child. I do not work with cases that are still unsolved due to my safety and my family's safety. I do not know this was, like I said, she said, I did not know this was a missing case, or I could have told you up front that I don't do missing cases. Uh, she went on to tell me that she was going to give my money back, and um, she said, I will give you all your refund back. She said, unless you want to talk to me on the phone. And then she said, I tell you what, call me at this number. That's what she said. So I called her, and she said, Miss Freeman, I 
I'm not going to charge you for this, but I'm going to tell you what I, what I see. Okay? And I asked her, I said, how do you know this is a missing person? That's the first question. She said, well, you've got to understand what I see. But she said, when a, when a person dies, you know, and they go over, and you're trying to contact them, she said, you see their face, or you see an image of their face. But she said, when you take a person who has never been buried, that's missing out there, that's never went over, then you got a shade that comes down. You can hear their thoughts, and you can hear that you can't see their their, their face. She says, I knew it was a missing person. Oh. And I said, okay. She said, I'm going to tell you something. She said, um, first of all, your daughter is, um, she is, wants you to stop blaming yourself for her disappearance. She said, your daughter is happy. She, she said she told me that three times. She wants you to stop. And then she said, she said, she, she's showing me a balloon. Well, let me go back. On January the 14th, 2016, my birthday's January 24th, okay? So this was just a few days before that. Oh. He comes in from work, and I, it was on a Friday, and I'd already made it in. And then all of a sudden, he comes in with this balloon, and I thought, why are you bringing that balloon in? And he said, I said, it's too soon. It'll be down before we take it. <laughs> he said, I didn't buy this, Deborah. And I said, well, where'd you get it? He said it was dangling in the driveway. I said, so I just took it. And her picture, I'll show you her picture. I took and tied it. That balloon stood up there for two weeks. But anyway, while I was talking to her on the phone, she said, she's showing me a balloon. She said, anything weird happened with a balloon. And it come to me, and I said, well, I said, we had a guy that I'm dating found one floating in the driveway. She said, if she wants you to know, that was dropped from heaven. It said, the only thing that was on that balloon, it said, I love you. You didn't write that? No, no, no. No, it was on the Printed balloon. On Printed on the balloon. And how she knew that, there was no way she would have known that. No way. I'm a pretty skeptical person, but I will admit I had to wonder if there was something to this. Then she said, she is showing me, she says she is showing me balloons and she's showing me flowers. She said beautiful flowers. But she says there is a gentleman involved. And she said, I'm coming up with initials, M. She kept messing with that, you know. She kept messing. Maybe Mike, Michael or something. And I said, well, the guy I'm dating is Mike, you know. And she said, well, 
your your daughter wants to acknowledge him and tell her, for you to tell him thank you because he buys her balloons and stuff acknowledge her and don't even know her that was freaking me out he was freaked out by that the woman refunded Deborah's money upon finding out it was a missing child case, and she told Deborah she was a bit frightened to pursue anything as she sensed danger surrounding Angela's disappearance. Deborah said the psychic also offered a message for the family of Robbie Bond. She said there's a lot of cover-up on this case, and that I should be really careful because there's, she felt danger. Then she asked me, she said, your daughter, does she like Christmas? You know, like that. And I said, yeah, she was always the person who put the trees, the lights on the trees and the decorations. She said, well, this explains what I'm trying to see. She said, she's got those little lights she put on the tree. Got them all over. <laughs> and I said, oh, she said, but she's lit up. Then, um, and then another thing she, they said, um, she said that Angela drove to this place, which I know that she drove there, her car was up there, but it's like I didn't know that, you know, unless she just looked up her case, you know, she didn't know who she was until I sent her the picture. Um, If the psychic offered nothing else as far as leading police to solving the case, she did offer Deborah some semblance of peace of mind with her messages from Angela thanking Mike for being there for her mom and telling Deborah that she was safe and with her granddaddy, Deborah's father, and not to worry about her anymore. She don't want me to worry about her anymore. She wants me to get on you know, and live. And that's hard to do, too. Yeah. Because, when, you know, when you don't do anything, you feel like you failed her enough. And I can't fail her no more. <laughs> so far, none of the psychics who have reached out to the Freeman family have offered anything that has helped law enforcement in solving the case. But perhaps some of those claiming psychic abilities are simply there to offer comfort of some kind, that the loved one is okay and surrounded by love. For now, that's all Deborah Freeman has, that and her deep and abiding faith in God to continue to strengthen her spirit and her resolve to keep searching for answers in any way necessary. In the next episode of Telling Lives, we will examine missing persons and unsolved murder cases in Mississippi and discuss the statistics on missing people in America and the importance of that first few hours in the probability of a person ever being found or their murder ever being solved. Telling Lives is brought to you by reporter, writer, and host Elizabeth Christian, producer Brian Manuel, associate producer Jerry Clark, Reporter and researcher Alina Noakes. 
audio editor Andrew Vance Miller, audio transcriptionist Lance Christian, research assistants Brett Williams, Marilyn Barfoot, Trinity Baugh, and Abigail Jones, photographers Abigail Jones and Grace Miller, original music by Nicholas Freeman. If you like this episode, subscribe to Telling Lives Podcast on your favorite podcast app. And if you have any information about the disappearance of Angela Freeman, contact us at tellinglivespod at gmail.com. There is a $12,000 reward for anyone with information leading to the arrest of the person responsible for Angela Freeman's disappearance. Contact Rusty Keys at the University of Southern Mississippi Police Department. Special thanks goes to Louisiana College for partial funding support for this project. Luke 8, 17.